Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Okay. Scientists tell us that a volcano in Colombia has been active for over 500,000 years. Now, where the heck they've plucked that figure from, I'll have no idea, because we haven't been around that long. As far as I'm concerned, we've been here about 6,000 years. But anyway, too big of a subject for now. But most of the volcanic activity has been small eruptions, leaving an occasional dusting of ash on nearby cities. But after an explosion in 1993, an interesting discovery was made inside the volcano. A geologist picked up some rocks for sampling, and when he cut them into small slices, he found that they were full of gold. Mm. It's the first time visible gold particles have been found in an active volcano. And after another year's worth of study, they found that the volcano spews more than a pound of gold every day into the atmosphere and deposits 45 pounds of gold every year into the rocks lying in its crater. The geologist even estimated that there is a gold vein at the base of the volcano that is at least 10 feet wide. 10 feet wide, solid gold. But here's the thing. No one would have ever have known that that gold existed if it wasn't for the ultra high heat and the pressure from the core of the volcano that pushed the gold to the surface. And I'm gonna come back to that in just a minute. During biblical times, gold was viewed as a blessing from God. It was perceived as a symbol of wealth and of power and majesty, and it held an exalted position. It still does today. Gold is huge today, and it's still worshipped. In the Bible, it's mentioned a whopping 417 times. The first time we hear of it is right in the beginning in Genesis 2, where it tells us the first river that flowed from Eden wound its way through the land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Of course it's good. Gold is good, isn't it? And in the last book of the New Testament, in Revelation 21:21, the 12 gates with 12 pearls, each gate was expert, expertly crafted from a single beautiful pearl, and the city street was pure gold, transparent as glass. And for those of us who know the Christmas story, we'll know that gold was given to Jesus when he was born. Alexander the Great conquered the world in search of gold. He first conquered it Egypt with its vast wealth of the stuff, and then he marched to Babylon, where gold was so abundant that they trimmed all their chariots with it. He captured all the gold there and most of the gold from the rest of the world. And when he died at 33 in Babylon, he was buried in a gold coffin. Rome was the next gold-hungry empire, and Caesar soon had the gold of the world flowing through it. He had so much gold, he decided to set up a mint and make coins, which is where we get our money from. When Nero came to power, he was a gold fanatic as well. He built himself a palace called the Golden House. At the entrance, he had a 120-foot statue of himself. The Golden House had over 100 rooms and garden, and the pool was so large it was like a sea, and the guests washed their hands in water that flowed from taps made of gold. The Bible always pictured Babylon as a city full of gold, but the people abused it and worshipped it as an idol. Gold was their god. And Nero wasn't the first person to set up a gold image. King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel had a 90-foot high, 9-foot wide gold image made for the people to come and bow down to. And some are still bowing down to the stuff today. The gold rushes of history have made people willing to risk everything for what it could provide. When the great 1849 gold rush to California started, 
most of the men in the East were only making about a dollar a day. So it's no wonder that they left by their thousands. 35,000 chose to sail 18,000 miles around South America to get there. It was a five-month journey. Others crossed Panama and risked tropical fevers and poisonous snakes. 50,000 chose the overland route and faced the mud of the prairies and waterless deserts, steep mountains, and even Indians. The routes were littered with abandoned wagons, the carcasses of animals, and rough crosses marking the graves of the men who never got there. But actually, they were often the fortunate ones because the ones who did make it never found paradise. They actually suffered a life of suffering and torment. The towns were crowded, prices were sky high. The average family could only afford to eat flapjacks, which to be fair, sounds all right to me. <laughs> but, but they probably didn't taste like yours, Sarah. One egg cost a dollar. We're going back to the 1800s. One egg cost a dollar. Candles for light at night cost $3. And if you wanted to comb your hair, that was $6. The gold diggers of 1849 were really unhealthy, and most of them died poor. If they worked from sunup to sundown, they'd average about $12 to $16 worth of gold a day, which was just enough to survive on. The stories of the few who made it big spread and kept the myth alive that brought a steady stream of people from all over the world to California. In 1897, there was a rush to Alaska, and men had to face temperatures so cold that most of them died. Others lost their limbs, some went blind, but gold motivated them to take the risk. 3,000 horses and mules died trying to get the men there, but 33,000 made it because of their powerful lust for gold. The stories of suffering and sacrifice to get it are endless. And then, of course, there are other stories of the remarkable ease with which some people got rich. On the 15th of Feb, 1869, John Deason and Richard Oates were returning to their cabin with a cartload of provisions. They got stuck in a mud hole and cursed their bad luck. But as they were digging themselves out, they hit a rock that glittered like gold. And to their amazement, it was the largest nugget that was ever discovered, weighing in at 200 pounds. It was so heavy, it broke the cart that they put it onto. By 1939, the US had more than half of the world's gold stock, $17 billion worth. It's why they built Fort Knox, to house and protect it all. The vault door weighs over 20 tons, and to open it takes several combinations and several people with keys. But the largest store of gold is five stories beneath the New York Federal Reserve Bank, and here the gold of all the other nations is stored, protected by a 90-ton revolving steel door. By 1949, the US had three quarters of all the world's gold stock. Did you know a single ounce of gold is so pliable that it can be stretched into a gold thread that you could put through a needle that will stretch out for five miles? Gold can't, has been found on every continent on the planet. It doesn't rust. There are loads of songs about gold, including the infamous Spandar Ballet. Gold, gold, always believe in your soul. You've got the power to know you're indestructible. Always believe in Danny Lowe. Oh, sorry, that's Forest song. Sorry. Kanye West, gold digger. Human bones, you ready for this one? Contain 0.16 parts per million of gold. There is gold in our bones. How cool is that? Gold is edible. Gold flakes are added to food and drink. There's a restaurant in London that sells a 24-carat tomahawk steak. It costs 700 quid, and it comes in a locked case. I tell you, I hope it comes with chips and onion rings for that price, and a, 
unlimited Pepsi Max too. That's shocking. But where am I going with all this? Well, let me take you back to my opening about the volcano that was spewing out gold. The only reason those geologists knew that gold existed was because the high heat had forced the gold to the surface. And in the book of Job, we read about a man who had it all. Job had everything going for him. He was highly favored, but the enemy wanted to sift him and God allowed him to. And we, we've, many of us will know the story of Job. He, he loses everything. He loses his, his house, his livestock, and all his family. And then he's covered in sores. But throughout it all, Job is faithful to God. And then he says this in Job 23.10, God knows the course that I have traveled. And I believe that were he to prove me, I would come out purer than gold from the fire. He said he knew that the Lord was able to weave a purpose through all the problems and the pain and the pressures that he faced and that he would come forth like gold from his trials. And gold only comes forth when it goes through the trial and the testing and the heat of the fire. Jesus said in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Gold refined in the fire is pure gold. All the impurities are removed by the heat. It's the work of God to make us more precious than fine gold. And this fine gold that we hear about is mentioned in Isaiah 13, 12, where it says, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. In the days of King David and King Solomon of ancient Israel, there was a place called Ophir. It still exists, but I don't think many people actually know where it is. But it was the source of fabulous amounts of gold. And much of the known gold supply of the ancient world has come from there. King David donated 3,000 talents of gold from Ophir to the temple at Jerusalem, which by today's value would be hundreds of millions of pounds. And Solomon's trading fleets regularly brought back gold from there. The golden wedge that was spoken of, that's where it was mined in that area. The gold was stored and traded in wedge shapes or rectangular shapes, which is probably where we get our gold bars, our gold mullion from today. And in all the Bible verses I've mentioned, the gold is referred to as pure purest gold that's what happens when gold is tried in the fire it comes out pure and it's described in revelation as a city with pure gold like transparent crystal there was a rich man who was quite distressed over the prospect of not being able to take his riches with him when he died so before he died he loaded his briefcase with two gold bars from his private vault and he left instructions to have the case locked with the key handcuffed to his dead wrist and the key placed into his grave clothes. His family carried out his orders correctly to the letter. And when he appeared at the pearly gates, he had the briefcase with him, key in hand. And St. Peter says to him, what have you got in your suitcase? And very proudly, he unlocks the case and opens it and displays his two gold bars. And Peter says, that's so special. You've brought us some pavement. I can't wait. I can't wait to see heaven. Gold streets that look transparent. I, you can't even, I can't even imagine what that, that actually looks like. It's so hard to imagine. But it only looks transparent after it's been tried in the fire. That is when it comes out pure. No dross, completely transparent. The trying in the fire is the purification process, the cleansing, the refining, the decontamination process. And for this to happen, it really is a process so that every element of impurity in the gold is removed. So a crucible or a furnace, if you like, is heated so that the gold melts and then the heat gets slowly increased. And if you turned it up too quickly, it says the furnace would completely collapse. It would be too hot even for the brick. 
As the intensity of the heat increases, the gold, which is a heavy metallic element, made up, mingled with other metals like tin and platinum, starts to melt. It's these other elements that form the gold that prevent it from becoming totally transparent. But as the heating process develops, the melting of the gold and all these other metals melts together. And as time goes on, what isn't real gold, the false metals, otherwise known as impurities, eventually just float up to the surface and they get scooped and skimmed off and removed. But that's just the first melting. After that, the heat gets turned up even more because there are some stubborn metals that just cling to the gold. They don't want to go. So the heat gets cranked up and eventually they all come to the top and they, they get skimmed off as well. A very long, hot process. Malachi 3.3 says, I will purge them. I will refine them as gold. I will purge them the way by which gold is purged through heat to bring out all the stubborn things that cling to the gold. Reminds me of the story of the teapot. You may have heard it before. There was a couple that loved to go shopping for antiques. And one day they were in a small country store and up on the shelf, they saw, they saw the most amazing teapot that they'd ever seen. It was magnificent, irresistible to the eye. And they just stood there admiring it. And suddenly the teapot began to talk and it said, you know, I haven't always looked like this. There was a time that nobody wanted me. I wasn't attractive. I was just a hard lump of clay gathering dust. And then this potter, he came along and he took me down and he dusted me off, got the dirt off me and he began to shape me and mold me. And I said, whoa, what are you doing? You're making me uncomfortable. It hurts. Leave me alone. But the potter just smiled and said, not yet. Then he put me on a wheel and spammed me around and I got dizzy and I felt sick. But after a while, I took on a new shape and he formed me into this teapot. I thought he was finished. But then he put me in a furnace. It was so hot, I didn't think I'd survive. He came to check on me and look through the window. He had this look in his eyes as though he was enjoying it, enjoying what it was doing to me. And I was screaming, let me out. It's too hot. And he just smiled and said, not yet. And when he finally took me out, he put me on a shelf so I could cool off. Can't tell you how good it felt to know that it was over because now I could just go back to being my normal self. But then the potter came back and he picked me up and he began another process. And he started painting me and changing me from my normal gray into this really cool blue color. And the paint was cold and sticky and uncomfortable and smelly. And at one thought, point, I thought I was just gonna choke from the fumes. And I said, stop. But he just said, not yet. And then he put me in a second oven, twice as hot as the first one. This time I knew it was over. I was a goner for sure. And I screamed, please let me out. I'm not kidding, I'm dying, I'm gonna die. But he just said, not yet. And after hours and hours, the oven door finally opened and he took me out and placed me back on the same shelf where I felt safe previously. And this time I couldn't relax for the fear of him returning and doing something else to me. And a few weeks later, he came by and he handed me a mirror. And when I looked at myself, I couldn't believe what I saw. Wow, I'm an amazing teapot. I'm a masterpiece. It was a radical change. I didn't look anything like the old gray, cold lump of lifeless clay that I used to be. God had made me into something amazing. This is the way that God works in our lives, if you hadn't already worked it out. He is constantly changing us from one degree of glory to another. He works in us. His work is never done in us. He's always doing something because he wants to make us the best version of us that we can possibly be. And my encouragement to you would be, please be patient with him. Allow him to do his work in you. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly how much heat and how much pressure 
that he can put on us. He's the man with a plan. Don't argue with him. I've tried that. Try it if you want me. It doesn't work. Vent as much as you like. Tell him how you feel, but don't expect him to come and change what he's on with. He's mining and digging for the gold in us. And here's the deal, and here's what I've been building up to for the last 15, 20 minutes. Every human being on this planet has elements of gold in them. We already know we've got gold in our bones, but there's gold in our body. But mingled in with that gold are the ugly elements, the other things that cling on, the impurities, elements of self that have to be burned away, that can only do it over a period of time that will make us pure gold. So if it feels today like God's got you in some kind of fiery furnace of affliction, if it feels like it's too hot to handle, that you're being tried and tested, then I'm here to tell you, you're in the process of purification, of cleansing and refinement to make you more like him. It's only in the heat of the furnace that the dross in our lives can be separated from the gold within us. The dross comes to the top, gets skimmed off, and we start to look a little bit more like Jesus. The true gold of our Christian character starts to come out. He wants to purify us and test us in the fire so that we are literally transparent. He wants to discipline us and make us more like him, and he can only do it in the crucible with the heat whacked up. It's the only way you can separate that dross. He knows the gifts and the skills that he's placed within you. He knows that in order to advance his work and to advance this kingdom, there are things that he's got to work out in us. He's got to reveal our, our character defects, our weaknesses, our sins. And what I'm really trying to say is, don't worry so much about the process. Think about the fact that there's gold in you. There's gold in you. I thought when you walked in, Nikki, Nikki even looks like gold. She's wearing gold. There's gold in you. We're rammed full of it. But the flip side of all this is that there is also some other stuff in us, in the mix. Stuff that the Lord doesn't want to contaminate us, stuff that he wants to get rid of, and stuff that if he doesn't get rid of, we will never be transparent. Some of, you, some of us are already quite golden. We'd like to think we're premature, but we're not pure gold yet. So he has to add a little bit more heat. Keep taking it. Take the heat please because it'll bring us to a place where our defects and our weaknesses have to come to the surface you don't need to work it out you don't need to understand what God is trying to do you just need to know that he's bringing the gold out of you it hurts but it's so worth it the heat can be extreme excruciatingly and emotionally painful but this is the answer I will make a man more precious than fine gold we're here to bear the test of God. The fire of the furnace just is to allow the dross to rise to the surface so that we can skim it off so that we are purified. We're not put pure gold after the first trial. We're not pure gold after the second trial. I'm not even convinced that we'll be transparent gold by the time we die. But if we just keep allowing him to skim off the dross, just keep allowing him to crank up the heat a little bit, he will bring gold out of us. It's a process of a lifetime. The furnace you might find yourself in right now may be scorching hot, but you're coming out gold. Be encouraged by that. Abraham was severely tested. He was asked to offer 
his one and only son on an altar. Jacob was severely tested when he returned to the promised land and was confronted by 400 soldiers. David was depressed when he returned to Ziklag and found it burned by fire. His wives had been taken, the children were gone, and his own men were plotting to stone him. Paul had loads of trials. He endured beatings and stoning and hunger and cold and shipwrecks and friends forsaken him. But all of them, just like Job and just like us, will emerge from the fire as gold. When I first got saved, I was far from perfect. Back then, it felt like I was living in a furnace. Like every day, it was like, you cannot seriously be cranking the heat up any more than you've already cranked it, God. But it was the beginning of the road for me, a road of sanctification. He wanted to purify me. And when I came back to God, one of my testimony, one of my things that I was really struggling with was feelings of dirtiness. And he reminded me that my name, my real name, Catherine, means pure. He said, I'm bringing you out pure as pure gold. And it's been purifying me ever since. It's been hot, it's been hard, it's been painful, but I'm coming out gold. And so are every single one of you. A story, story told of a missionary visiting Indian, an Indian workshop and the craftsman was purifying the gold. He'd melted it in the crucible and he kept applying the hot flames to it. And the missionary said to him, when will you know that the gold is ready? And the Indian replied, when I can see my face in it. Gold has a near-perfect reflective quality to it, so much so that astronauts have it in their visors. They're coated with a gold film to protect their eyes from the rays of the sun when they go into space. And when we're refined by God and he removes all that sin and that dross, it allows us to become a reflection of him, a reflection of his image, because God will only be satisfied when we can see his face and when he can see his face in us. And isn't that, isn't that one of the dreams? It is for me. I just, I want people to stop and say, oh, there's something different about you. And be able to say, it's God. It's bringing out the gold in me. I want to reflect him. So the pain of the flames you feel right now, stay with it. It's necessary. The heat is necessary. It's separating the dross from you. Pride is a hard thing to cure. Sin is a hard thing to cure. Lust, anger, worldliness, and all the idols that we've set up are hard things to burn off. Hard things, but not impossible things for God. He is in the process of making us come out as pure gold. As a master geologist and surveyor, God has spent considerable time studying each one of us. He has measured our potential for producing good character, determining how much gold we might be able to produce. And he knows there is still loads of gold left to mine in each of us. And here's a little Billy bonus as I finish. We as a leadership see the gold in you. Do you want to get my new t-shirt in? We see gold in every single one of you. We've just been taught to see everybody as a 10 out of 10. We choose to focus on the good in others and pull it out of them and bring it to the surface. We don't believe in failure in this church. The only way we fail is by not even trying. We like to give everyone a mistake quota of 30, and when they've used them all up, we just top it up to 30 again. We're more concerned about you guys playing to your strengths and making them stronger than we're concerned about your weaknesses, because your weaknesses are somebody else's strengths anyway. And when I look around, I just want to shout, because I just feel so blessed by our people that we have struck gold in this place. You are gold, and we want to develop a culture where we get to see the gold in each other. 
Proverbs 11:27, and I'm going to finish with this, says, anyone can find the dirt in someone, be the one that finds the gold. Let's allow the Lord to dig for gold in us. Let's allow him to crank up the heat. But let's also be looking for gold in one another. Amen. Thank you.